on the way that we act in our everyday to day lives and the way that we're supposed to act and what Jesus has done for us. And so I'd like to do something kind of similar this morning to describe bitterness uh, and the danger of bitterness. So we're going to use person one and person two in two different scriptures. All right. So here's scripture number one. Um, and I'm going to tell you what the actual scripture is after I've given, after I've talked about them a little bit. Uh, it says, in the land of Uz, there was a man who was named person one. <laughs> Uh, this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Anytime there was a period of feasting, he would make arrangements for his sons and daughters to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice burnt offerings for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was a regular custom for person number one. All right. So we see a person who is very righteous and upright and an outstanding uh, person for God. And now let's look at person number two. And this is scripture of person number two talking, all right? Where they're saying, even if I summon God and he responded, I do not believe that he would give me a hearing. He would crush me with a storm and multiply my wounds for no reason. He would not let me catch my breath, but would overwhelm me with misery. So that first verse that we talked about with person number one was Job chapter one, verses one and five. And the second uh, verse was also out of Job. It was chapter 9, verses 16 through 18. And this is the same person. So we see really the only difference between these two people is a couple chapters in the Bible. Okay, What was once a man who was uh, blameless and upright in God's sight became someone that was pretty much cursing God's name at the end of the day and in complete misery and dealing with the dream killer of bitterness. Um, and we see the kind of person Job was in Job 1.8, uh, where Satan comes to God. And it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Right? And it's kind of funny because whenever I first kind of came around to the church, that's the kind of guy I thought, Oh, I'm going to be like that one day. Uh, I'm going to be someone who is so righteous and faithful and nothing can get in my way, right? Nothing can disrupt my faith. And that changed over time. Um, Job 6, 1 through 3, it's funny because it says, if only, I could, uh, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on a scale, it would surely outweigh the sands of the seas. And looking back to when I first came around and looking to my life now, there's a time in my life where I felt that way too. And I wasn't what I thought I would become. And so when we look at this progression of bitterness and how it can take root in any one of our lives, no matter how righteous you might be, I think it's extremely important, even as men, I know a lot of times we might look at bitterness and we say, oh, well, mainly women deal with that, but that's false, that's a lie. Men deal with it too. We have to look at what are the things that can become bitter. And there's going to be three big questions through this that I want you guys to take note of. And the first one is, what can cause us to become bitter? This is the first big question that we have to answer. Well, to give you a second, write that down. What can cause us to become bitter? The first thing that can cause us to become bitter, that can sow that small little seed of bitterness in our hearts, first thing is what people say and or think about us. Has anyone in here ever heard the saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Yeah, I think we've all heard that. It's a pretty common saying, right? 
Uh, by a show of hands real quick, who can think of something from their childhood, not even recent, just something from their childhood, that maybe someone had said or did or thought about you that caused you to be insecure and or bitter towards them? Okay, yeah, just about all of us. So I think it's pretty easy to, stay, uh, to say that that saying is false. Uh, if we can think of things from years and years and years ago, clearly words do more damage than broken bones, right? Bones heal over time. You know, that's not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. Bitterness can last a lifetime. Some of the things that I thought of that have happened in my life, uh, kind of generic um, things or examples that I thought that maybe would help us kind of get in the mindset of some things that people can say about us. Uh, maybe a childhood friend said something hurtful to you to make themselves feel better. This happened to me. Maybe a family member uh, or a group of family members tries to guilt trip you. I've experienced that. Uh, maybe there was a trustworthy friend that threw you under the bus once and you didn't expect it, you didn't see it coming. Uh, maybe you've experienced rejection from a group of people who you thought would accept you or should accept you. Uh, you know, these are all things that I think we go through um, especially as men, that normally people are like, oh, well, a man should just be able to deal with that, right? And normally our response is to bottle that up and be like, I'll deal with it later or I'll just ignore it. And that's the wrong approach. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit later. But um, these are things that happen to us all the time. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And we'll get into the healing part a little bit later, but I want you to understand how dangerous words from another person can be and how much we have to respect not only what people are saying but what we're saying to others and how we have to be careful that we're not trying to cause that to other people as well the second thing that can cause us to become bitter is what people do to us sometimes people you know sometimes you know you hear someone say something like we just talked about and maybe they didn't mean it maybe they meant it a different way sometimes people out outright do things to us that put us in difficult situations and can sow that seed of bitterness in our hearts. And so what I would like to do is look at uh, one of the characters Robert talked about yesterday uh, named Joseph. Now, Joseph's story is one of my all-time favorite stories. It's honestly probably my favorite story in the entire Bible. Uh, his life is I mean, it's crazy. It's a roller coaster ride for sure. Um, and Joseph goes through, uh, well, a lot of people do a lot of things to Joseph early on in his life. Uh, Joseph starts out his life, honestly, as kind of a, a spoiled brat. Uh, he is the favorite amongst his father from all his brothers. Uh, and he doesn't have to really go out and work as hard. doesn't have to do a lot of the things that they had to do. And he's treated differently. And so if you look at someone that, I guess you could say he's, he was probably really soft, honestly. And one day his brothers have had enough. And they decide, we're going to kill him. Let's kill him. We're done with this. We're done with this kid, right? And luckily enough, one of his brothers, Reuben, is like, well, maybe we, maybe we don't have to kill him. Uh, so they throw him into a cistern, and then they see a group of Midianite slave traders uh, on one of their routes, and they have them come over, and they sell their brother into slavery. And this is where we see one of the first things people can do to us, and that is betrayal. Betrayal will stick with you forever if you let it. And it stuck with Joseph, I'm sure, for a long time. And we see, we see a, later on in his story that he gets to see his brothers again and kind of get to see um, <laughs> the hurts kind of re-enter his life and how he goes about it. Uh, so you can tell that that betrayal stayed with him for a long time. Uh, the second thing that people can do to us, I feel like, uh, is also seen in Joseph's story. 
um, you know, Joseph is put into slavery, this soft, spoiled kid, literally is put into slavery. His life is turned completely 180 degrees, uh, pretty much overnight. It's, it's flipped upside down. And even though he's put into slavery, he starts to kind of do well there. He is favored amongst his, uh, the other slaves from his master. He's put in charge of many things, the Bible says. And he starts to uh, be very successful there where he's at. Until uh, his master's wife starts to approach him and is like, come to bed with me. And uh, I don't know if you guys understand, but usually whenever there's a very rich man, his wife is very attractive. <laughs> uh, so imagine this woman, this super hot woman coming up and being like, come to bed with me. I know where my husband is most of the time. He'll never find out. Uh, you know, is this great temptation. And uh, in Genesis 39, 16 through 20, we see one of the times she tries this. And it says that he got away from her. He ran away, he resisted. But it says uh, in Genesis 39, 16 through 20, she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story, that Hebrew slave that you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story of his wife, uh, that his wife told him, saying that this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him out and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And so in the beginning of Joseph's life, he feels betrayal. And now he's dealing with false accusations. This is where... I feel very related to Joseph. Because I too have dealt with false accusations in my own life that have had consequences um, when I did nothing wrong. Um, and I'll kind of get into that here in a little bit, but it's gonna kind of bridge into the third thing that can happen that can cause bitterness to grow up in our hearts. And that is, um, so the first few things were what people say or think about us what people do to us. And the third thing is what happens to us. Sometimes things just happen and they're out of our control. Those are the worst, right? When something happens and you have literally no control over it, you're just watching everything unravel. So <clears throat> I guess I'll take a second to kind of let you guys kind of know my story a little bit. So I know a lot of you, um, some of you I don't know, um, but I think most people here probably don't know my story too well. Uh, a few of you might. So growing up, I wasn't really, I guess, like a lot of boys my age. Um, I really wanted, I think in my heart, the thing that I desired the most was a family one day. You know, um, I'm not sure why. I grew up in a split household. My parents divorced when I was nine. And even before then, I remember seeing my parents fight a lot. Um, never anything crazy, you know, never any physical abuse or really any kind of abuse, just uh, screaming matches. But I always wanted uh, a wife and kids of my own so that I could, you know, raise them up and show them how to live a life. I don't know why. This is something that I've always desired. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe that's something that God can give me. I was raised in church uh, a little bit. Um, my family went to church, and I did enjoy church growing up. Uh, I thought there's a lot of value there, uh, and that transitioned well into me finding the crossings in Winsville. Um, so fast forward, you know, uh, to me kind of starting to come around to the church. And I was kind of like, you know, this is it. This is where I can really start to give 
my life to God and he can take these different dreams that I've had in my life and I can start to make them a reality or he can make them a reality for me. He can give me the things on my heart, you know? Um, and so one of the first things that I wanted was a right relationship with my father. Maybe like eight, nine months after I was baptized, I started taking this class, Healing is a Choice, so that I could start uh, forgiving my dad for some of the things that he had did or really not done um, growing up. He was lazy. He would uh, ditch a lot of times or be a, a no-show whenever it's his time to watch over us. And in my high school years, I took that out on him a lot. I know he loved me and my brothers a lot, um, but he was just a very irresponsible and lazy person, and it showed a lot in his actions in life. And so I was very mean to him when I was in high school. I didn't ever go out of my way to see him. Um, to this day, I don't know when the last time I saw him was. Because during that class that I was taking to try to heal some of those things, he died. And my plan was to take that class, to tell him about it, tell him that I love him, and hopefully he'd want to come to church. And everything would just be good from that moment on. And I never got that. And so that was kind of my first dream that was plucked away. And there was, you know, there was some bitterness there. Um, but I think I was very lucky to have the church that I had and the people that I had in my life to help me not dig into that too much. So about a year after that, um, me and my now wife, Courtney, get engaged. Um, and it's awesome. I mean, I love her to death. She's definitely a huge blessing in my life. And we get married, and I start to think to myself, maybe this is when one of my big dreams can come true. Uh, maybe this is when I can get that family that I've always wanted. And, uh, you know, we get about, I'd say it was probably two and a half years into marriage, and we're like, hey, let's start, let's start trying to have kids. And uh, it's not working, you know. She never really gets pregnant. So about a year in trying, we go and start seeing infertility specialists. Um, we try all kinds of different things. Nothing seems to work. And then we see one doctor who's actually very well-renowned in, in the St. Louis area. And he even, I think his, it was like 3% of his clients um, still go through infertility after seeing him. So he had a very high success rate of helping people. And after everything that he tried for us, he diagnosed Courtney with unexplained infertility. Just no idea what's going on. Uh, to this day, we've been married 10 years this year. Um, we'll be married 10 years this year, which is awesome, but still, no kids. Um, well, we start to think, you know, maybe this is just some sort of trial that God's putting us through to help build us up, um, which I could see. And I think that I did, you know, I did grow a lot in that time. About three years ago, we thought, well, maybe if we can't have kids, maybe we adopt you know, and that seemed like perfectly reasonable. Um, so we start going through that process. And about halfway through, you know, we're kind of at the point where we're going to start like making books to show people to where hopefully they choose us to have their kid, uh, to raise their kid. That's when my false accusation happens. And I'm accused 
of a sexually related sin that I never committed. And because of that, my adoption was terminated. And so, again, another dream plucked. Something that I've always wanted that I feel like will never happen. And this is where I think I started to really delve into my bitterness. Where I felt like my dreams were killed for no reason. Uh, There was, I'd say, um, probably two, maybe three weeks straight where I questioned God a lot. I told him, you must not love me. Uh, Maybe you're not powerful enough to help me because these things should not be happening to me. I've been faithful to you and and this is happening. Um, And so I was really starting to run down this this bad path and I started to feel justified in my bitterness. I started to feel like, well, it's okay that I'm bitter because, of course, all this stuff happens, but I, I believe it's okay for me to act out on my bitterness. I started to uh, say things and do things that I wouldn't normally do. I lost a lot of respect at that time, and honestly, I was almost kicked out of leadership. A lot of you don't know that. Um, it was a pretty dark time. And it wasn't until I was in um, a Bible study with someone that I probably shouldn't have been at the time. I wasn't, wasn't in a good place. Um, we were studying baptism, and I was talking about the, um, the commitment that was involved in baptism and how serious of a commitment it was. And it was really good for me because I remember thinking to myself, you know, this is something that I've gone through too, and this is something that I told not only myself but others that I was committing to. And so I think regardless of what's happening, I need to commit to it recommit to it and make sure that I'm being a man of my word. Um, and at the time that I, I reread a very common verse, I'm sure a lot of you have heard, John 16, 33. But I took the first part of it and the last part of it off. And when you take the first part and the last part off, it just says, in this world, you will have troubles. And it made a lot more sense. Uh, to me at that point because I think at that point I had really just read that and been like yeah because you know the world sucks and not everyone's a Christian not everyone you know loves you and but no it's talking about real troubles and I felt like well I guess it never told me how difficult those troubles would be Um, and I kind of started to come back but the things that happened to me almost killed my dream and they can it can kill yours too um, you know, I'm not, th- I'm not sure if the things that you guys have gone through or are going through are current or if they're, uh, if it's been a long time or they're, they're still stuck with you, but those things, uh, they will kill your dreams. If you are not careful, you have to be aware of that. Um, one of the things that worries me the most, honestly, now that I've kind of gone through that agony and bitterness and down that path is it was very difficult Honestly, it was very difficult to come back from that. Um, And what worries me is, especially at a campus retreat, is I feel like today's youth, um, really, I I feel like what started with my generation, 
is this sense of entitlement and sense of always getting what you want. And I think, honestly, 99% of people don't know that they have that. I think we all have to be very real with ourselves or even just tell yourself that you're that way just to make sure that you can uh, try to work on that. But what's, what's bad about that with bitterness is how difficult it is to come out of it. Um, I think that if someone looks at bitterness and they say, well, I have two options. I can live in this. I can, I can accept it and I can, I can feel justified by it and let it run my actions. Or I can turn to God, turn to his people, turn to the things that are right and deal with this the right way. And that is difficult. And a lot of people aren't going to want to do that. We have to do that. So we have to ask ourselves the second big question of this lesson, which is why should I avoid bitterness at all costs? Why should I avoid bitterness at all costs? Why is it worth it? It's a lot of hard work, so why should I do it, right? Well, the first reason is because bitterness is senseless. Uh, it makes no sense. Job 5.2 says, to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. And bitterness is senseless because, guys, honestly, if we choose, or choose, if we, if we say that we're disciples, but we're living in bitterness and we're acting out on bitterness, those two things don't make sense together. They don't equal each other. You can't have one and the other at the same time. There's no sense to it. It makes no sense. So when I was looking at this point, uh, sometimes what I like to do is I like to look up the Webster definition of certain things. And sometimes, you know, it'll show a different viewpoint. And I think it did this because I looked this one up and there was two definitions. The first one, it literally just said to be unconscious. Like to be unconscious. Senseless? Well, I guess that makes sense because you, you have no sense about you. People can be doing things around you. There could be decisions being made and you have no sense enough to affect those things, right? So the first thing that senseless really does to us is it leaves us spiritually unconscious. We are making no effort, no momentum in the kingdom at all. Honestly, we're, being, we're probably being dragged through by our leaders and the people in our lives that uh, are around us. So we're putting a, a drag on other people. And the second thing that um, Webster said was, it is lacking common sense. Senselessness is lacking common sense. And that makes total sense, right? Because when you think about a relationship with Christ, when you think about from the beginning when you get baptized up until whatever point you're at now, it's a lot of work. You've built habits, you've built characteristics, you've become someone different, become someone new, right? Uh, everything you do should glorify God. You know, we know that and we try to work on that daily in different ways. Well, when you're living in bitterness and you're living in those feelings and those emotions, because that's what all of our decisions are based off of now, you don't do that anymore. Those things that you're like, oh, I should go up and talk to this person, or oh, I should say things a certain way so that someone might ask me, oh, what church do you go to, right? Like, these are all strategies and things that we do in our day-to-day -day lives to help glorify God. We don't do that anymore. Now, every choice we make, everything that we say, every decision we make is all based out of our feelings and emotions. You no longer have that common sense that you had on your day-to-day -day basis that is going to glorify God. The things that uh, you've built up over time and the habits you've built up over time to become more like Jesus are gone. The second reason why we should avoid bitterness at all costs is because bitterness is self-destructive. So whenever I was kind of going through it, right, whenever I was uh, at my worst, I'd say, um, I, was, I was very much being destroyed by the enemy. 
Uh, bitterness is definitely a scheme of the enemy. And it's a good scheme, guys. It works really well. Really, really well. Um, the way that that works and the path that I was on, I want you guys to imagine this straight and narrow pathway, right? And it's you and Jesus. You're walking on it together. And it's your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're all on that. You're trying to follow along that path with Jesus, right? Well, as soon as you come to that fork in the road of bitterness, you have a choice to make. Am I going to deal with this the right way and stay on that straight path? Or am I going to veer off a little bit and start to kind of wobble and fray back and forth thinking about these things that affect me, these things that I'm dealing with? Uh, and whenever you do that, guys, you think about it. There, there are kind of ways that you go about this, uh, this path or this fork in the road. Maybe you just stray a little bit and then walk parallel to God. That's not the way it works. Maybe you stray a little bit and split and start to kind of distance yourself from God along the way. But hey, you know what? I'm still, I'm still going upwards, right? I just won't get there as, as soon as everybody else and as soon as Jesus. That's not the way it works either. It's a curved path, right? So whenever you are walking that path, you start to veer off, right? You'll start to see your reputation leave you. People will see the things that you say and do. This was me. And they'd be like, what is, wait, what did they just say? What are they thinking, right? You'll start to lose godly relationships that you've built up over a long period of time. People will no longer respect you to the point to where they won't think, hey, I want to hang out with someone. Let me go talk with Chris. Or I want to bounce some ideas off someone. Let me go over and Chris will know what to do. And those relationships will start to dwindle and fail and you won't see people as much and they won't seek you out as much either. And the very end, guys, that curved line, that curved path is going to lead going the opposite direction. And you will leave your relationship with God altogether if you do not deal with some of these bitter grudges or things that have happened in your life. I've seen it a lot. I've been leading for like 10 years in the ministry. I've had people in my own small group. I've seen people in my ministry not deal with things in a godly way and their relationship with God is gone. It self-destructs. It explodes. And that's kind of funny because that's always kind of when I hear the word self-destruct, I always think of like big explosions and stuff, right? That's not the way Satan self-destructs us. It's a very slow and tedious process. We have to be very aware of when it's happening. Uh, Job 18.4 says, you are only hurting yourself with your anger. And Job 5.2 says, resentment will kill a fool. And when we choose to focus on bitterness and we don't choose to use the hard, uh, the hard, methods that, hard methods that Jesus has given us, God has given us to overcome those things, that's what happens. Resentment will kill us and you will be a fool. Okay, and the third thing of why I should avoid bitterness at all costs is because bitterness is enslaving. Now, a lot of us have studied uh, Romans 7 and Paul talking about how, how enslaving sin can be. And this is one of the most enslaving sins that is out there. And when me and Courtney were writing this lesson, um, we decided to do a little bit of uh, scientific research on bitterness. And it kind of, it's kind of funny how it works. So whenever you're feeling bitter, whenever you're feeling uh, like you're holding on to a grudge or you're thinking about something that may have happened to you recently or in the past, whenever, uh, our body releases dopamine. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with what dopamine is. Dopamine is uh, that chemical that's released that makes you feel um, good. It has a good feeling in your body, right? And God gave us dopamine for a reason. He gave it so that we could feel that whenever we pray, whenever we read our Bible, whenever we are 
uh, with other disciples, right? Like those are the things that we should be releasing dopamine uh, about, right? Well, whenever we're sitting in bitterness, we are also really, really releasing dopamine. It's a fake substitute though. Um, has anybody here ever been so like engulfed by something or so bitter about something or so mad or angry at someone that you couldn't sleep that night? That's what that is. That's the dopamine. You're starting to live in that. And not only that, but you start to become addicted to it, right? And it starts to mold your characteristics. You start to become a better person, right? It's who you are. Uh, And it's very destructive, like we talked about, but it's very enslaving. Um, Whenever my stuff was going down uh, with my false accusations and the terminated uh, adoption, all these different things, um, Courtney, I think, she about didn't sleep for a week. She couldn't. She couldn't get it off her mind. Um, I went about it a different way because I started to actually give in to a lot of my bitterness and just change who I was. I didn't care anymore, right, like I talked about. But, um, yeah, she couldn't sleep. She couldn't do anything. Her mind was just constantly trapped on our lives and what's going on in the middle of our lives. And that was probably our least effective moments. So we look at how dangerous... Um, this is, right? Uh, we look at why we have to avoid bitterness. Well, we have to ask ourselves, what if I'm already bitter? What if I'm already living in it? What if I'm already dealing with a lot of these things? Whether it's the seed of bitterness is very small still or whether you've got an oak tree in your life that you just can't get over. You, know, you can't jump over it anymore. What, what then? So <clears throat> the third final question we're looking at here is, what can I do to heal my bitterness? so that I can continue dreaming on. What can I do to heal my bitterness? And the first thing that we can do to heal our bitterness is we can confess our sin of bitterness as soon as I notice it. Confess my sin of bitterness once I notice it. And there's three different ways, I'm sorry for you guys' notes, I know we're going like main question, first point, sub point here, but uh, the first way that we can confess our sin, guys. There's three different ways to go about it. The first, most important way, I believe, is we must communicate our hurts to God. We have to communicate our hurts to God. And so, uh, well, real quick, Job 7.11 says, I can't be quiet. I am angry and bitter. I have to speak. That's Job 7.11. Job 10.1 says, listen to my bitter complaint. Don't condemn me, God. Right? So Job feels the urge. I have to bring this to God. I have to talk to God. That's how we should feel too. When we have these things that we're not dealing with in our life and we're letting them rule us, we have to get ourselves in the mindset to where I need to talk about this. And the first person to talk to this about is God. And so let's look at two different examples, two very different examples, of times when bitterness came into people's lives and they acted about it in a different way. So first person we'll look at is Cain from Cain and Abel. The first murder, right? Uh, we're all very familiar with, with this story. Uh, Cain and Abel both had sacrifices for God. Uh, Cain's was, I believe, uh, produce and uh, livestock is what uh, Abel was sacrificing for God. And the Lord looked on favor to Abel's. And so in uh, Genesis 4, 6, the Lord comes to Cain and says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, 
but you must rule over it. And we all know the rest of the story. God comes, he says these things to Cain. And what does Cain do? Does he listen? No. Excuse me. Uh, he, he goes and he kills his brother. That's how frustrated he is. And we see the first murder. And we also see a large consequence in Cain's life for that. God comes to Cain. He's like, well, you didn't do what I said. Now you're banished. And he's put into exile. He has to leave everything that he knew. He has to uproot his family and he has, they have to leave and go create a new life somewhere else which would be extremely difficult to do. But I want us to kind of rewind here because I want us to look at what God does with Cain. When we see him go to him and he's like, why is your face downcast? Why are you so upset? You know, he's asking these questions. What's God doing? He's giving Cain a chance to get out of this situation. Guys, they could have had like a five or 10 minute conversation and Cain's life would have looked so different, so different. You know, God could have been like, oh, that's what's wrong. That's all. You know, I love you. You know what's going on. And he could have totally dismissed any of the insecurities and bitterness in Cain's life. And it could have been done with if he just would have communicated his hurt with God. The second person we're going to look at is Joseph again. So Joseph, uh, you know, we've kind of gone through some of the hardships in his life. um, Some of the the biggest things that he uh, went through. And I want us to focus on the times when he is, uh, when Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him, right? Because I want us to look at his response to her the first time we see this happen. Um, Imagine being in his shoes, right? He's probably doing his duties one day. She comes up, no one's around. She's beautiful and she says, I want you, right? This beautiful woman. She's like, no one will know about it. It can be just between me and you. And I mean, she is more than likely laying it on thick trying to get this guy. And do you know what his response is whenever she asks him if uh, he'll go to bed with her? His response is, how could I do such a wicked thing to both my master and my God? Guys, I do not believe that any man out there could have that kind of response if he was not in communication with God daily. There is no way that, well, first off, he was the son of Jacob, so I, I know that man knew how to pray. I know that man knew how to have a right relationship with God. Jacob went through a lot to learn that. And I'm sure he taught all of his sons about it. But we, we see his response. We see the response of a godly man, a man that puts God before himself. That man must have been in communication a lot. He's probably praying right then and there. He probably saw her walking up and knew it was going to happen. He's like, dear Lord, be with me right now. This is going to be hard to do. And so we look and we see the direction that his life goes. In Genesis 41, 41 through 45, It says, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And this is after uh, Joseph uh, tells Pharaoh what some of his dreams are. You know, that original God, or the original gift that God gave him. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine robes of linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath-Paneah and gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. So we see in the course of a single day, and guys, I want you to imagine, Joseph at this point has probably been a slave and in prison most of his life. It says he was 30 years old 
uh, when this day finally came. So the past 15, 16, 17 years, however long it's been, he's been, I mean, <laughs> life's been the pits. Life's been terrible. Um, but he was, remained faithful through it all to God. In the course of a day, God gives Joseph authority and power, wealth, uh, some new swag even, right? He gets uh, the signet ring off of the fat finger of the Pharaoh for crying out loud. He gets a gold chain. He gets fine linen robes, like a whole new wardrobe. Like this is not the same man. You would look at him. You would look at the person, the same person the next day. You wouldn't be able to tell that they were different people. And to you know, the chair on top, he gives him a beautiful wife who he gets to make a family with and serve God with. You know, we get to see his sons later on, you know, much later, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they also do great things for God. And so in the course of a single day, his life has changed for the better. All because he chose uh, more than likely to communicate with God on a daily basis. The second thing we can do to uh, confess our sin of bitterness is we can communicate our hurts to a godly person. And we should be doing this also. Uh, you know, we are a part of a single church body that God has given us. Use it, all right? This isn't gonna be that long of a point because that's, that's really it. You're supposed to use the church body. Yes, communicate your hurts with God. That is the first thing. You should always turn to God first, right? Make sure you also seek advice from godly people, godly counsel, you know? And make sure you're not biased either, you know? Your, your, your best friend that you just baptized a week ago probably isn't the right person yet, to go to for hard, you know, life choices or difficulties you might be going through. Go to seek godly counsel. Communicate with your hurt with a godly person. We see this a few different places. Uh, we see it through Paul and Jesus. So Paul in Ephesians 4, 25 through 29 says, therefore, having put away falsehoods, so he's saying, we're not being fake. This is real. Let each and every one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He's saying you have to be transparent with each other. You have to talk about your lives with each other. You have to. If you're going to succeed and you're going to be one singular body for Christ, there is no other option. Put away any fakeness that you have and be real with each other. You know, don't spend your time tiptoeing around and saying things a certain ways so that you won't hurt someone's feelings. If your brother has sin, talk to him. You have sin, talk to him. Do what you need to do to expel those things out of your life. And the third and final thing we can do when it comes to confessing our sin of bitterness, and this one is funny. This one's actually kind of optional and kind of um, based purely on what is going on in your life, but it is to communicate my hurt to the ungodly person. Now, I wholeheartedly believe, wholeheartedly believe uh, that if I were to go to the person that spread that lie and, and about me, they would be happy to know that it worked and that my life was flipped upside down. And honestly... She'd probably try harder to do more damage to my life. But that's not always the case. Sometimes when people hurt us or there's things that we hold on to in our lives, it's good to go to that person and to let them know that, you're gonna, that it affected you a certain way, but that you're going to deal with it a certain way too. Sometimes it's a family member, right? Sometimes it's a lifetime friend that you've had, right? Something they said, something they did that stuck with you, you know? And when you go to them... And you're like, hey, listen, I know you said this a certain way. This is how I took it. I know it's probably not how you meant it, but it's how I took it. I have to communicate this with you just to make sure that we're, that we're good. I want to be responsible with our friendship or with our relationship. 
that looks way different than the way the world does things, guys. And not only does it help you to get over some of those things, but also can help that person to find God later on. Now, as I said earlier, this is something that we don't, it's kind of a case-to-case basis. Seek advice on when to do this. If you feel like it could do some good to go to that ungodly person and talk about these things, go to your leader. Ask them, what do you think if I went up to this person that said this? Because honestly, 90% of the time, your leader's gonna say, well, you sounded pretty biased and you sounded like you just wanted to let them know how you feel. This is probably how you should rephrase it if you do wanna go to them. That's gonna help both of you. You know what I mean? So we have to make sure that we're seeking advice about that one. But sometimes it is appropriate to communicate our hurts to the ungodly person as well. Okay, uh, out of those subpoints, so we had, as the question, just to review here real quick, what can I do to heal my bitterness? And the first thing was to confess my sin of bitterness once I notice it. The second thing that we can do is we can choose to forgive. This is, this is a hard one. This is very difficult. Um, you guys have heard the term uh, forgiving is forgetting. Yes and no. Uh, forgetting sometimes, you know, is a byproduct of true forgiveness because you've, you know, you're not really dealing with it anymore. But what I believe forgiveness is and what I think the Bible shows forgiveness is, is it's finding a way to move on, not letting it rule and dictate your life any longer. You move on. That is true forgiveness. You can still look back at that, what happened, and you say, yeah, that happened. But I accept it. I know it happened. I know this is why it happened. I know this is how it happened. But it doesn't dictate and control who I am anymore. I have forgiven that person for their wrongdoing to me. And guys, honestly, it's funny because when I look at forgiveness, and I just said this earlier, I think that it's one of the harder things to do. But why? Why is forgiving someone so hard to do? Our example in everything that is righteous and good is Jesus. And Jesus forgave people who were literally murdering him. Like the people he came down, performed miracles for, loved, spent all this time and energy, didn't have to do any of that stuff. And he did it anyway. And even to this day, our very sins are the reason why he had to have nails driven through his hands. And we look at that example and we're going to say, well, yeah, but I don't want to forgive that other person because they, they talked to me wrong the other day. Or I don't want to forgive that person because uh, they made it sound like they're better than me. Or they threw me under the bus. I'm sorry, but they, they didn't murder you, did they? No, I don't think so. They didn't torture you and, and give you up to officials to, I mean, like, you know, you look at the things you just went through. Guys, this should be like, our first thought should be, oh, I should forgive them. Okay, you know. Um, it's not like it was really that big of a deal, you know, and some things are harder than others. I'll give you that. You know, my situation was very difficult, but I should have handled it much better than what I did. Um, so we have to choose to forgive. Hebrews 12, 15 and 16 says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up uh, to cause trouble and defile many. And I think that's something we have to realize, guys, if we're going to cho- truly choose to forgive someone, we have to identify that bitter root and we have to not let it grow, all right? Um, Jesus had a lot of opportunities in his life to have bitterness seep up. But whenever he, start, whenever he started struggling the most, he started praying. He talked to the Father, right? Or he was transparent about things. You know, he did things the appropriate right way and he, to avoid uh, that bitterness to, to grow up in his life. The third thing that we can do, the third and final thing we can do to... Heal our, uh, to heal ourselves from bitterness 
is to change my focus. We have to change our focus. And I put in parentheses next to this, our thoughts, our thought patterns, right? The way we choose to think about things, the way we choose to do things, we have to change that. So I wrote down some stuff here. Um, normally when we become bitter about something or when we start to hold a grudge or someone wrongs us uh, or something happens out of our control, we tend to have uh, certain thoughts pop up in our head, certain questions we might even ask ourselves. Um, and so real quick, normally is the first thing you think, well, what can I do to become even with that person? Or is it, what can I do to serve those who've wronged me? Is it, what can I do to feel immediate gratification so I can distract myself from what's going on in life? Or is it, what can I pray about to deal with this like Jesus did, right? These are the, the contrasts that we see, the way that we're supposed to, the way that we naturally would live our lives and the way that we're supposed to live our lives. Um, one of my favorite verses, Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Guys, when you're dunked, when you're baptized, you are a new person. That comes with a new mind and a new way of living your life out, right? Uh, it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So one of the, one of the things I couldn't help but think about when, when writing this, um, this point down or unchanging our focus is I don't know how many of you guys have, have been watching The Chosen. Uh, I think it's really well done. Uh, I don't think it's by, you know, perfect by any means, but I think it's a great interpretation of what uh, the Gospels look, uh, looked like when they were happening uh, when Jesus was here. But in the first episode of the current season, season three, we get to see the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the first big sermon that Jesus has that he's like really shaking people up about because some of the teachings are so different than what they've heard prior that it's just bewildering to them. Some of the things that he talks about is don't be anxious about your day-to-day. -day. Don't worry so much, right? Just let God take care of you. Just rely on God. Give those things to God. He talks about those people that do evil to you, do good to them, right? Oh my gosh, what a, can you imagine someone saying that? You hearing that for the first time? That'd be crazy. He says, do not hold on to the evil of others, but pray for those that persecute you. These are the things, and it's really kind of cool how they did it in the show because it goes through and it shows his disciples that he had, that he's been teaching for the past, uh, you know, however long. And it shows each one that struggles with the things that he's talking about. Like it shows, I think it shows Andrew, uh, whenever he's talking about being anxious. And Andrew, Andrew's just like about ready to cry because he's anxious about everything. He, everything has to be in his control. He has to know what's going on. He has to know what's, what's next. What does tomorrow hold? What does next week hold? What's our schedule? Where is this person going? What are they gonna do? What are they gonna say to people? Like he has to know everything. And he's like on the verge of tears because Jesus just told him, stop worrying so much. Let God take care of it, right? And you see Simon the Zealot, you know, and you see him saying, hey, those people that do evil to you? And Simon's like, yeah, because Simon's a zealot. <laughs> he's probably like, I'll kill him, you know, or something crazy. And he's saying, pray for him. Simon's like, he looks super confused. Like, what did he say? Pray for him. Uh, and it's just so cool to see. And it's crazy because that's the way that we are supposed to think. And if we can start to look at some of the bitter roots in our lives, and if you still want to have a dream and you dream for who you can be in God's kingdom, this is part of it. It's, it's a very important part of it. The renewing of your mind, being different. Uh, 
you know, kind of wrapping things up here, guys, I want to kind of tie it back to Job. Job 42.1 says, the, uh, the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life even more than he had blessed the first. Uh, you know, Job, in the end, he had his struggles. He had his, he hashed things out. He hashed out with friends, which we've looked at, you know, as part of the lesson here. He also hashed things out with God. And at the end, he told himself, you know what? God is God and I am not. You know, if God wants to do something, it is righteous. It is the correct way to do it. Just because it might affect me a certain way doesn't mean that it's bad. And in the end, Job came to terms with that. And because of that, God blessed his life wholeheartedly. He doubled everything that, God, that Job had. And I do want to say, in closing, that shouldn't be our motivation. We shouldn't think to ourselves, well, I need to do better. I need to get rid of bitter roots. Because if I can get rid of this bitterness in my life, maybe all my stuff will be doubled. That's not our motivation. Guys, our motivation is freedom. When you truly get rid of bitterness in your life, when you forgive others, when you overcome those things that have happened in your past, you are free of those things now. They no longer weigh you down. Jesus has taken them, right? So uh, I know from me, I've experienced that. Um, I still have people in my life that try to do things to me. I still have events in my life that happen that are out of my control. Um, this past year, you know, Courtney's father passed away from lung cancer, and it was very hard. I was very close with John. And I made the choice during that time, I'm not going to respond the way I responded in the past. I'm going to deal with this in a godly way. And I've been talking to people, I've been praying a lot about it, and I feel different about it for the first time ever, and I do feel free. So I encourage you guys to do the same. I hope you guys got something out of this lesson. Um, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we can get ready for our next set of lessons, all right? Uh, dear Lord, thank you for your, your ways, Lord. Thank you for your plans for sending your son down. Lord, I don't know what my life would look like if it wasn't for you. If it wasn't for the things that you've done for me, purely out of love, even when I didn't deserve it. Um, Lord, I pray that as we look at bitterness, as we look at the things that it can do to our lives and the way that Satan can enter our lives in ways that we're not even expecting and just grab hold of us and, uh, and use us, Lord, it's scary. Um, I think the scariest part about it is normally it gets us and we don't even know that it's got us. But Lord, I just wanna pray that we grow in our maturity, we grow in our wisdom and we're able to see those things uh, before it gets too bad and we're able to deal with them and the things that are already uh, going on in our life that we're able to gain healing from those things, Lord. Um, I want to pray for this weekend, pray that the lessons go really well and that we continue to grow and get uh, uh, see you through those lessons, Lord. It's in your sons, I pray. Amen.